Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. All right, welcome again to the Defender Bible Study. This is Rick Morton, uh, and today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 14, the first 12 verses. Um, we're going to be talking about an issue that is of, um, I think, importance to all of us, which is how do we handle um, our liberty in Christ and, and how do we handle that in terms of uh, weaker brothers and sisters in the faith? And so... Um, Chapter 14, Paul writes, Except anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes that he may eat anything, but the one who who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not criticize the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another's household slave? For before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes observes the day, observes it to the Lord. Whoever eats, eats to the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, um, it is to the Lord that he does not eat. Yet he thanks God. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, we we live or die. Um, we belong to Christ the Lord. Christ died and came to life for this, that he might rule over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you criticize your brother or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then let each of us give an account of himself to God. So the Apostle Paul is is writing a, a, about a really practical issue that's happening in the church at Rome, and, and this is something that he writes about elsewhere. Um, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 um, and in other parts of, uh, of his letters in, in talking to the church about this idea of the exercise of uh, Christian liberty. And um, really, this is is kind of to be expected as we see that the church at Rome is is struggling to understand what it means to live by and to live under grace um, as opposed to being um, sort of confined to and and prescribed to um, by the law. And so there's a there's a real misunderstanding that that continues to pervade the church about the law. Um, and as we've talked about previously, that that the nature of the law is is not to give us a standard of perfection to live up to or to work our way into um, 
in, you know, into God's favor or to atone for our own sin because we're making up for it because we're behaving in accordance with God's law. Now, really, the law, um, Paul tells us elsewhere, is like a schoolmaster. <laughs> the law is is intended to to show us both holiness and, and God's God's heart and God's standard, but also to show us the impossibility of living up to that apart from uh, the work of God. And, and so Jesus had to do what he did in order to provide a sacrifice for us, in order to, to live the life that we couldn't live. Jesus is the only one who's really capable of living up to that standard. And so Paul reminds us in the midst of this that that there are always going to be issues where um, where there are brothers and sisters who are more mature and less mature and and are going to struggle with this idea of living up to God's standard as the way to please God as opposed to accepting the sacrifice of Christ as the way to, to please God. Um, and so Paul says um, very clearly in verse in verse one of this passage of Romans fourteen, he says, "Receive the one who is weak in the faith." Um, Paul um, wants us to really take that seriously, and he wants us to understand that that spiritual maturity is not a requirement for fe- for fellowship. Um, that we when we um, we should we should be willing and and we should be actually proactive in taking those that are that are struggling to understand the grace of God and are struggling with um, with with a with an immature faith where they're pl- trying to please God um, by living up to His standard without understanding His grace that that is um, that those are people that are that need to be brought close and and need to be walked with and discipled not people um, that are to be cast off. And, and I think he draws a real distinction here between people who are who are sincerely um, weak and immature in their faith and, and people that are that are outright being you know rebellious. And so what might be some of the reasons that someone might have a weak faith? Well, um, one might be that they're, that they're a baby in Christ, that a babe in Christ, because babies are weak. They, they haven't grown. They haven't exercised their faith. They haven't, they haven't learned. They haven't matured. They haven't developed. Um, and so that may be one reason they may be, um, you know, they may be sick in the faith. And, and so they may be weighed down by legalism and, and by this understanding that um, that the gospel is about rule keeping instead of the gospel is about what Jesus has already accomplished um, and, and seeing the law in light of who Jesus is. Um, they may be malnourished. They may be believers who have been believers for a long time um, and, and they may not necessarily have a bent view of um, of, of kind of the, the economy of God and the economy of, of the way that we should live but they but but honestly they may have been deprived of of good teaching and time in the word and so they may literally um, be starving to death spiritually and that's the reason um, that a Christian might be weak and and then the final the, you know situation might be that um, that they really have lacked the exercising of their faith. And, and so what they're in need of is encouragement uh, and for us to walk with them and to exhort them to, um, to, to further press into Christ and to further live out their faith and, and to, to help their works to, to be able to, to match um, their understanding of their salvation by grace. Now, 
Paul talks about this idea of, um, you know, one only eats vegetables. This is, um, this is really kind of an example, not necessarily a, um, you know, like a, um, this is not all that Paul's talking about here. And, and so he, you know, he talks about this because, um, because there was a, there was a, a thing that was pervasive kind of in the, in, in the, the world that, that Paul was, um, planting churches in and the, in, and encouraging churches in where, um, meat was being sacrificed to idols and it was, it was really great quality meat. And it was then, um, somebody, you know, made a, a great business enterprise out of that, of taking this meat that had been sacrificed to a pagan idol, um, and, and then taking it to the market and selling it and, and, and people consuming it. And, and so, you know, Paul in various places says there's nothing wrong with eating that meat, that, that there's nothing. It, it's meat sacrificed to a dead idol. It's a, it's a ritual that has no meaning. And so therefore, um, there's, there's nothing wrong with the meat, but there are, you know, there were people that were still, um, you know, probably stuck in wrestling with the Jewish dietary laws and the traditions that they'd come from. And, uh, and, and so there was this conflict that arose between people that that were um that were offended by those who were, you know, who were eating meat. And, and so Paul, and then on the other side, you had people who, who were going to such another extreme to try to show themselves to be pure and holy that they were abstaining from meat completely. So they couldn't, you know, even be thought of as possibly having, um, you know, been tainted by, by doing this thing and, 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 you know, participating in, in eating meat. And so Paul uses that as a, as a really stark example. Um, and, and ultimately he, um, you know, he says here in, um, that, um, that neither one should, you know, really cast aspersions on the other and, and that, that those that eat, eat to the glory of God and those that abstain, abstain to the glory of God. And that ultimately, um, it's not about whether you eat or whether you abstain, but it, but it's ultimately about living, um, you know, toward the, um, the glory of God. And then he goes on in, in chapter three and, or in verses three and four of this chapter and, and says, Moreover, it's it's really inappropriate for us to judge because we're not their master. Um, and I, I think, you know, many times we, you know, we hear the proof text of, you know, judge not lest you be judged. And 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 if that's as if that's some sort of license to sin or license to behave any way that we would want to behave. And and that's certainly not um, the, the idea that we see in the New Testament. But what we do see is that we've been set free from the law, that we've been that we've been we've been given a, a, a new condition that we are that we are now ultimately um, responsible to and we are bond servants to Christ and so and so whose expectations do we live to we don't live to the expectations of others we don't live to the um, to the rule making of others but we ultimately live according to the standard that Christ has placed for us um, and and that we um, that we ultimately are um, are not to to judge someone else and and to judge those decisions that um, that they make about what they eat or what they drink or about what you know what holidays they observe or about um, those sorts of things. But ultimately, um, we are we are to um, 
we're, we're to live toward Christ. And, and so, um, so we, we see it, you know, verses five and six that, that Paul's saying that, um, that there is, that there is freedom in Christ and, and that there is, that there's freedom to, to see, um, you know, many of these things that are, that are not blatantly, um, called out in scripture as, as being wrong or as being contrary to the will of God that, that we have freedom in, but that, that the overarching ethic that we need to, to really think about here is, is that, that all of our lives are really lived as worship to the Lord. And so we don't need to isolate any action or anything that we do. And so, um, so the question is, when we eat something, are we able to do it so that we bring glory to God? When we drink something, are we able to do it in a way that we're able to, to worship and to, to see God and to praise God and ultimately, um, to, to magnify God as a result of that thing? When we abstain from something, are we abstaining from it because, uh, because we are, we're magnifying God and because we we're, we're more mindful of God in the abstaining of those things. And so um, Paul really fr- reframes the issue to say that it's not the act. It's not the doing of the thing or not doing of the thing. It's the attitude of the heart. And, and are we doing those things um, that are permissible. Now, this is not talking about things that, that we've been told that are, you know, that are, that are blatantly sin and blatantly things that we should avoid and blatantly things that we should run from in the scriptures, like sexual immorality. And, 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 you know, there's a, there's a host of things that, that we see in the scriptures that in, in, in behavior and in, in action and in thought that we are, we are to run from, that we're to flee from. And, and, and so that's not to, that's not to make those things, um, some how acceptable because of our freedom in Christ, but it, but it is to say in those things where we have, where we have liberty, um, are we, are we using that liberty ultimately to, to worship Christ and to point to Jesus in everything that we do and in everything that we say? And, and so Paul goes on in, in verses seven through nine, and he really underscores that when he begins to talk about this in terms of life and death. And so he says, ultimately, none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. He says, if we live, we live into the Lord. And if we die, we die into the Lord. Remember, this is Paul who in, in Philippians chapter one said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is, this is Paul who, who gave the example of while he was on death. Death row, or at least while he believed he was on death row, and when he was, you know, in under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, twenty four hours a day by a six foot chain, that Paul basically was was saying in the face of death, um, you you can't you can't take away um, the ultimate prize from me because for 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 me to die is to is to be in the presence of Jesus and and so it's it's gain to me if I die because because I'll be released into the presence of Christ but then he says but for to me to live is Christ and so he sees every day as a gift. Um, Understand that Paul lived with such a joy and, and, and worship so exuded, um, Paul's life and characterized his life that, that we also see in, in Philippians chapter one, um, 
that Paul Paul talks about these these brothers that are are part of the house of Caesar who he's he's commending in this letter and saying that the brothers that are part of uh, the house of Caesar greet you also as he's writing to the church uh, there in in Philippi and and those brothers that he's talking about are um, part of the Praetorian Guard these were the this, these were like the secret service agents of the day who guarded Caesar and they've many of them have come to follow. Jesus. Why? Because they've been chained to Paul with a six foot chain and they've seen day after day um, that he lived to Christ, that he lived with a joy and a worship that was unexplainable to them. And it was winsome. And God used that to draw them um, and, and to and to awaken their hearts to Christ and ultimately um, to, to to lead them to salvation. And, and so Paul's giving that example in his life to say, if I live everything that I am, and all that I do, I want it to point to Christ. And if, you know, and, and if I die, then, then, the, then the thing that, that you can take away from me ultimately ushers me into the presence of Christ. And so that's not a loss either. Um, and, and so he says, you know, even in these issues of the, the things that we choose to do and the things that we choose not to do, um, that ultimately our goal and the way that we should judge our actions um, is not because... Um, of anything other than the fact of how does how do those things exalt Christ um and and then ultimately he reminds us here at the at the very end that that we will give an account of our lives all of us each of us to God in in verse twelve and so you look at verses you know ten eleven and twelve and he says you know why do you criticize your brother why do you look down on your brother because ultimately you're going to be the one that's going to stand before God and you're going to be the one that's going to be called to a you know to account for your own actions and. You know, we have a tendency, and I think it's part of our our sinful nature that we want to somehow rank ourselves um, against others, and and we want to we want to show ourselves to be a little bit better or not quite as bad as um, other people, and and to 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 look at sort of our relative um, spirituality when when Jesus presents a completely different standard, which is holiness, it's perfection, it's Him. Um, and and that and that what we strive for is we strive to be like Jesus in everything that we do, um, in everything that we say, in everywhere that we go, in every opportunity that we have in life. Um, why? Because um, the Christ deserves the worship of the world, and so we are we are given the opportunity to be able to magnify Him. And and so when we begin to think of this in terms of um, being judgmental of others. And we're, we're completely missing the point that, that, that this is not about a race to become a little more holy than someone else, because there's no such thing as being a little more holy. You're either holy or you're not. You're either pure or you're not. And, and, and what we've, what we understand is, is that apart from Christ, none of us are pure and that we are covered, um, in, in the, you know, by the perfection of Christ, by the purity of Christ, we have been, we've been made over by the blood of Jesus. And so we should strain in every opportunity to use even the things that we eat and the things that we drink and the way that we exercise and the way that we use our free time and, and in the ways that we use our gifts and our intellect and our ability and, and the way that we administrate our finances and everything in order to point people toward 
um, the the glorious gospel and and point people toward um, who you know who Jesus is, um, and 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 so ultimately. Um, he, he reminds us by, by quoting Isaiah 45, 23 in verse 12, um, to say that, look, ultimately every knee will bow in worship of Jesus. Everyone will acknowledge Jesus at some point, but he's reminding us as believers to use our lives today to point people to Jesus and, and, and not to wait un, until that point of judgment when, when those that have been rebellious and have not not follow Jesus will be forced to bow their knee to Christ when they'll have no other alternative. And so Paul's saying right now, don't fall prey to, to these meaningless squabbles, but, but love each other, push each other, um, help each other, disciple one another, walk with one another and, and, and encourage one another to use the opportunities that are before us, um, to be able to live, um, in a way that exalts and magnifies Jesus. Um, Really glad again that you ha- you continue to join us for um, the Defender Bible Study every Monday. We're continuing in our study of the Book of Romans, and and we want to encourage you to to pray with us um, as, as well. And and so this week we're praying for uh, the countries of Latin America that uh, that Lifeline works in, and 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 we want to pray specifically for several things. One that God would would use the central authorities in uh, in Central and South America, in Latin America, in order to protect children and in ulti- ultimately in order to be able to defend children um, in in ways that are that are best. Um, we pray that that we at Lifeline and, and those that work with us on the ground at Lifeline would have great relationships with the central authorities um, of governments throughout um, Central and South America, uh, throughout Latin America, um, so that we can we can do the work of advocating for vulnerable children and vulnerable families, but most of all, so that we can put the gospel of Jesus Christ on display. And so we pray for the hearts of those who are working in those government institutions, that they would see uh, the authenticity of Jesus and that they would be drawn uh, to want to follow Jesus and that God would give us the privilege to be able to use the things that we do in ministry in order to be able to affect them for eternity. Um, We want to pray for families who are considering um, and who are in the process of adopting from Latin America. We want to pray that God would guide their steps and that God would order their steps and and that God would 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 deliver them to the destination that he has for them at just the right time. We want to pray for children uh, in Latin America who are vulnerable to be protected. We want to be we want to pray that um, that the church will rise up and minister to families that are that are moving toward being broken and fractured and that the church will be used to be able to help to to reconcile and to reunify those families. We want to pray that the church will step in in places where reunification can't happen and that the church in Latin America will will foster and will adopt in greater numbers um, within their own nation. And we want to pray for, for Lifeline and for our global orphan care ministry as, as we seek to work in countries in order to build capacity um, for believers to be able to adopt and to foster. Um, 
And, and most of all, we want to pray that all the things that we do in, in, in being the tangible hands and feet of Jesus, um, and, and showing God's character as the father to the fatherless and the defender of the defenseless, that, that those things would ultimately put, um, the love and the mercy and the grace of Christ on display. And so thanks again for being with us. We, we hope you'll join us back here again, uh, next week as we continue in the book of Romans, looking at the rest of chapter 14. Um, and, and again, if, uh, if you have questions or thoughts or uh, would like to hear some things addressed here on uh, the Bible study, please let us know at info at lifelinechild.org. That's info at lifelinechild.org. Just shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.